You know, in OD, there's this uh, expression called the murky middle. And what that essentially means is that, you know, if you look back, some transition, some significant event happens, and whatever you were used to and existed before is no longer there. And you know what? The future hasn't yet begun to take shape. And we call that the murky middle. And so Joyce and I jump into this conversation today, given the context that it seems like there's not much in terms of periods of tranquility. It seems like we're always in this murky middle, given what's happening in, in our world, in our private lives, in our workplace. So uh, hard to be at your best when you're in that murky middle. And so we're going to jump in and talk about not just coping with the murky middle, but how to excel in it. So come on in. Grab a snack. Welcome. Hey, ignore. <laughs> Good morning, Bob. Hey, Joyce. I, I didn't call you Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Come on in, gosh. everybody. Grab a cup of coffee. Grab a snack. In fact, grab a lot of snacks because today we're talking about the um, free-floating anxiety we're all living in. And one of the common responses is to eat until those feelings go away. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know Jim Gaffigan. He's a com uh, co comic that I highly recommend. But he laughs a lot about how something went wrong, and then he said, "Then I just go and eat until I don't have feelings anymore." <laughs> <laughs> or an entirely different kind of feeling. <laughs> That's right. So, um, anyhow, Bob and I were talking, and I thought. What triggered it was I have I and two of my children don't know where we'll be living in two years. Now, it's not all bad. It just creates a letting go and a living in the middle. And um, I think that so many of us are living with a free-floating anxiety that we're you know, uh, managing in all kinds of ways. Because at the large system level, the world, I certainly can't picture where it's going. In my work life, which is uh, in the uh, segments of um, spirituality and business, I'm not sure where I'm going. And certainly as an individual who, who is now a widow, I can't see the form of my future, and I may be letting go of this house. So mm -hmm. I give you that reality, Bob. <laughs> Do something with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we, we about, uh, the work of William Bridges, Bill Bridges, uh, who's done a lot of work on grief and change. Uh, and uh, you used the metaphor he did, and you were talking about it beforehand, is, you know, you're on a trapeze, and the idea is you got to get to the other side. And so like any trapeze artist, you have to time, you know, your jump so that as you're going over and swinging, the other trapeze is there ready to grab. And I loved your metaphor. You're like, there's no tra uh, trapeze on the other end. There's nothing to grab onto. And so as, as uh, you know, Bridges says, you're in this murky middle uh, where what was doesn't exist anymore and what is to be hasn't arrived yet. 
And the one that we both experienced, I'll give you an example, is, and I think we're talking about a more broader conversation given today's reality, but to put it simple is when announcement is made that your company's being sold and there's just tons of uncertainty and we're not going to do the deal for the next six months, that is that neutral zone. That's like, okay, I'm hanging on this trapeze called my former work life uh, and I don't have a clue what's out there. And so the anxiety that you described uh, is heightened. And I think Bridges' work is in many respects, how do you navigate that so uncomfortable, anxiety-producing uh, middle space that we're all in right now? Yes. And thinking of the workplace, I have, I don't know if anybody, well, I don't know if you're, You know, the quiet quitting is simply staying on that little platform of the trapeze artist and saying, I'm not, I'm not jumping. Yeah. I'm not even going to wiggle because it's just plain safe. I'm going to hold still until I feel I have a place I want to swing to. And I'll come back to this. Help me remember, you know, what do you hang on to? But it is the rare person that while on the one trapeze stand is creating something to go to and the risk involved and the risk involved. This is new. I'm going to try it. Will there be something that will catch me, hold me, and for how long? And is it worth it? No, I'm going to go back to my perch. Yeah. So what do you hold on to? Yeah. In that situation. Um, so this is going to sound counterintuitive. Uh, and for all I know, it could very well be wrong. Uh, in coaching, uh, there's a methodology called process. And mm-hmm. process, simply put, is just meeting the client where they are. So whatever Mm -hmm. emotional state, it may have been something uh, bad that happened to them. And your job as a coach is just to be there so that they could go deep into the experience of Mm -hmm. what they're feeling. And Mm -hmm. I I think, I I don't think that's a coping mechanism, but I think it's one where you kind of get grounded. You know, I really am sad. I really am scared. Uh, Now you got to go somewhere with it eventually, but I think, one mechanism is to acknowledge how you feel mm-hmm. and to percolate there. Yeah. And how does, I had written articles previously, and I'll probably publish one of these old ones, on how afraid of fear top leaders are. They don't want to recognize that it's there. They don't want to recognize that they are. So yeah. it's kind of forbidden. And in fact, you and I used a way of um, kind of a quick response to questions that were a little bit silly in order to get to what what truths were there but not expressed. Speed helped that. So, um, and how do you express it? Well, I know. I mean, I can feel myself as a top executive, like, when is this ever going to end? 
Yeah. How long? How long do I? See, I almost used the word coddle. Well, it's funny that you say that because I, as I was listening, I was thinking about, you know, uh, a leader that won't lean into their fear, as I described a moment ago. So much of that, I think, is that facade of uh, being self-assured and being hopeful and being optimistic, you know, and it's almost like, you know, if you remember when you're a kid, if you saw your parents scared about something, uh -huh, uh -huh. it was terrifying to you. It, it escalated. And <laughs> I think uh, it's an interesting quandary because I think so often, uh, you know, leaders don't tap just how anxious they are or how much they fear uh, in the hopes that others won't see it. Right. I don't know what I remember. with it. Um, yeah. Well... <clears throat> the leadership model is shifting from parent yes. to more colleague. And even so, if you're leading, how do you allow the expression of what's real in the company and yet manage that you have got to model how to go through it? Okay. It's so necessary to model what which is the expression of this is tough yes. we've never we've never done this before we can either hold still and kind of sink or fall into the net if there's a net or we can begin to build whatever it is we need to build to get from one trapeze perch to another but first you know, getting the expression of where is my organization? Is it angry? Is it fearful? Is it anxious? My and, and my sense is that the ones that I've worked with are it's anxious, but also there's there's a beginning of a refreshment. Yeah, of of refreshing of like wow, you can work from home. Or <laughs> happened. It would have taken a hundred years to get there. Um, yeah, and a and a coming a rebalancing of priorities is one of the ways people are getting grounded in this change of saying, "Where am I going to ground myself? I used to ground myself at work." Yeah, you, and, you yeah. know, you you just said something. I mean, what the example that you just gave uh, of how the new brand of leader reacts, I think is a perfect example of Bridges' work, meaning, you know, he he goes into the murkiness of just how difficult something is. That's kind of being in process. This really isn't good. Mm -hmm. and it's really mm -hmm. happening to me. Use the word we. We will figure it out. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, the whole idea of giving people uh, at least some element of control about where that uh, company or organization or group is going. And, I, you know, I, I think uh, the other role of uh, a leader is kind of creating a vision of what that net next trapeze might look like. And um, how do you do that? And I, I you know, I, I think the way that I would do it, because it's the one thing that, you know, you and I both work in companies that are in turmoil. And 
I think what always gave us a sense that we're going to find our way back to the next trapeze is looking at how we've performed uh, and handled things in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and a lot of times we would go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm done. I just, you asked how, how do you get there? I'm like, you know, Hey, we, we've been through worse. Uh, you know, uh, it may not seem as bad now that we're here, but it was pretty bad back then. And you know what? We got through it and we will this time. And then the question is, how did we get through it? What did we use? How did we yes. do that? But I, because <clears throat> that was my thought. Oh, I know in working through changes in a large organization, I frequently started with, when were you in profound turmoil? Yeah. And fear and uncertainty. And many, 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 many people came up with divorce okay. or illness. Yeah. And then I would ask, and, and what helped? What helped? I had a friend I talked to frequently, like in my own grieving process. <laughs> yeah. I watched more TV than I, I I had a soothing mechanism yeah. for what by watching movies to step away from the the environment I was in, which was grieving. So they would make then, you know, a list of what helped. And then to say, and how do we apply that to us now in this company? What worked? Food and comfort worked. Have more available, you know, have snacks, have coming togethers, have a lot of listening ears. Um, and the And as you said, begin to build a picture of what's attractive because you want, that's why we always created visions with hundreds of people. Yeah. You know, it's not, oh gosh. And I still think of CEOs that I worked with that still went in the corner office and wrote a vision (laughs) and it was pretty accurate, but anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's the coping mechanisms and then there's how do you move forward? How do you take action? And jo- uh, Joseph Campbell has this great quote from one of his books. The cave you fear most holds the treasure you want. Mm-hmm. You know, And so the implication is we all have fears. We have anxieties that paralyze us. And you have a choice. Either you take action and lean into it by going in the cave. Uh, only to find out that it, it holds the treasure you seek. Uh, I, and and so, I again, I don't think that's Pollyanna, but it means we got to lean into it and, and kind of push towards the fear. It's like someone who has a fear of snakes. Well, you get non-venomous snakes and you have them hold them. Um, doesn't work on my eight-year-old grandson, but I've been told. Doesn't work on me ever. I'd rather stay home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be fear-based forever when it comes to snakes. Um, Uh, What was I going to say? Don't know. Um, I don't know. It was something about building with baby steps, but with, you know, people, what helps today? Yeah. And, and I don't, I love Joseph Campbell and I know it's, true about going in to face the fear 
but you have to build a readiness. And yeah. part of what the readiness is, is where do you want to go? So that vision personally or, or organizationally, you know, what's the impetus that allows you to say, I'm going to go into that fear? You know, um, fear and anxiety is paralyzing. You know, we've, we've, I think we've made that point, uh, uh, well made. Um, if, if I think about, um, what you described, uh, I think the leaning into the fear, uh, is, is what is required before that is somehow recognizing that the anxiety that you're feeling and the stress that you're feeling is debilitating. You're not going to be your best possible self. Your willpower is going to be diminished. It's like a battery that's half dead. So what do you need to do for you, like your coping, that somehow puts you in a position that I can now see my way out of the valley that I'm in? Um, uh, so how do you nurture your company's people to get to the point where they're willing to face, we say we have to have the vision, but they also have to be um, built up. <laughs> you know, I want to go, hey, extra vitamin C, how do you really rebuild individuals yeah. in the workforce? And, and I don't mean um, therapeutically, I don't think. So, maybe, maybe some coaching on, you know, what do you, and it could be group coaching on how do you need to grow and how do you need to nurture yourself so that you can grow Yeah, while, while in this mm, unclear situation. And part is remembering that they've done it before. And part of it is letting people express it. Yeah. It's not catching. It builds strength and connection. Uh, and and the other is having somewhere to go that you want to go. Yeah. I, the one thing that um, that I, I have found helpful, when you're just absolutely wrought with fear um, of being that Travis Pease artist, uh, you know, I have found that um, it's easy to get frozen. It's easy to kind of stay where you are. Um, and oftentimes, uh, one of your fears is this terrifying exaggeration of what you think is going to, to have happen at the other end. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like the exercise that says, what is the worst case scenario of the situation we're in? What's the best case scenario? And then third, what's the probable scenario? So it, it kind of moves you along the continuum because if you live in the worst case scenario, uh, it's really hard to move on. It's like there's no hope, right? So I think kind of saying, okay, what's best case scenario? Hey, we're going to get bought and we're all going to get uh, right laid off. Now. We're all going to get laid off. We're going to get laid off and get a year's severance. And then what's the problem scenario? Well, they'll give us severance and they'll want us to stay and they're going to change the rules and we'll have different insurance. 
um, versus the worst case scenario was we're screwed. We're going to let us all go. And oh, by the way, we have no equity in, they have no equity in us. So they're going to cut us loose without anything. So what's the probable? I, I think it's a blend of somewhere between the best and the worst. How yeah, but in your example, answer? yeah. Um, well, oftentimes it only happens in hindsight, but mm -hmm. I think I'll use the example when we, Hannaford, were purchased by Delays, which here in the States was really Food Lion. Yeah. I, I was so fearful. I was living in that terrifying, exaggerated vision of the future. Mm-hmm. I, I it was it was the you know it was hard yeah and, and as i stepped into it and learned it and it took a couple of years i'm like i like my job better i'm in a better situation in terms of growing and challenging i'm getting exposed to new leadership i'm learning how to scale up from 60 stores to 60 yeah. stores so i you know but you know i gave you a concrete example but it was only at the end of the story, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny uh, because my first reaction to Hannaford being bought was, we're not going to lose our logo, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I love that cornucopia. That festival. Oh my God, it was so <laughs> odd. I laughed at myself. Oddly enough, and I, with five kids, four in college at the same time, I didn't worry about money because you know why it was so big. I couldn't worry about it. It was so big, even when I had a job that, yeah. so I had a mechanism that turned off <clears throat> fear, not turned it off. It wasn't a suppression. It was like, I can't, I can't manage that level. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. manage this level. And I did apply for a job somewhere else. Wow. Pretty fast. Yeah. And that's I didn't take the offer. Yeah, that is a great lotus of control uh, mechanism that, that say, hey, I, I can't get my arms around just how uh, absolutely terrifying this future may be or is, but what can I control? What can I do right now? Oh, I can apply for a job elsewhere. I could show up every day and be a positive uh, influence in my work space. Um, you know, so it's kind of going back, what can I control? Yeah, I can I check can my finances. I could talk with my, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can start a meditation practice. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, it, it, but, but I think that whole, idea of what is it I can literally put my arms around and and concretely make happen. Uh, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Look, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of a wonderful slogan about that, and I can't. <laughs> well, I, there, I don't know if there's a slogan, but I, so I'm going to uh, project here, so I may be wrong. I think for you and me, I, I saw the what was happening in the organization, the fear and the anxiety and the uncertainty. And I, as an OD practitioner, the one thing I can control is set up the conversation, to set up uh, a process that helps mm -hmm. people navigate. That's why you brought Bridges in. 
So, you know, we can't tell what's happening, but boy, what I can control as an ODHR practitioner, I can control kind of managing, uh, not managing, uh, helping to navigate the way for our employees. Right. So if you can see it and do what what you can with what you have right now is my slogan. And... uh, I just remember bringing people together, having zero answers, and they came for answers, and I did it with a cross-functional group once a week with different people to say, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, here's our questions we have. It was crazy because I didn't offer much. But also for myself right now, I have so many vectors I'm managing, selling a house, my health, blah, 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 my professional work. I get anxious until I ground it on paper and make my list. Mm. These are things I need to do. And I just do a, a brain dump like we I used to do yeah. a step when we got overwhelmed. Then I can circle three that I'll touch today. And I'm going to ignore 21. So anyhow, we we are in this at such a large scale. Such a large scale. We are in the midst of, I think, historical change. And so we can come back and talk more because holding on to your self, getting a definition of yourself and your values and what you will do and what you won't do is important. So we can play with that another time. And I'm even, I'm going to leave this as a mystery guest, but I'm actually thinking of a guest we can come in to talk uh, about this very talk topic in a real concrete way, given what she does. So there's my teaser. And I think we're out of time. Mystery guest. Okay. <laughs> Adios. Hey, see A lot of the ideas that came out of today's podcast are based on the work of a gentleman uh, by the name of William Bridges who passed away some 15 years ago. And and Bill Bridges, when he was living, not only was a huge positive force helping companies manage mergers, acquisitions, loss of a leader, um, but he also played in the personal space of people going through transitions uh, as the result of a a, a death in the family uh, or something traumatic in their life. So I say that all to say, uh, Google William Bridges if you want to know more about how to manage transitions and particularly how to deal with the, the emotional side of making big change. So uh, I don't think we called out Bill enough and just wanted to make sure that people knew that that's where a lot of what we talked about today came from. So until next time, be well and be safe. <laughs>